Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant Crispin, and this is Episode 7. When I put out a call recently for guests for this podcast, I was overwhelmed by their response. So many people have written to me, from social workers to foster parents to former foster youth and more, all willing to share a bit of their stories in order to help enlarge and shape foster parents' perspective on our role in the lives of the children in our care. Today's guest is one such person, and I'm so grateful to have had a chance to speak with her. Melissa Smallwood has such an amazing and redemptive story, beginning with her own experience as a youth in foster care. I don't want to tell you too much because she did a great job of speaking for herself, but I will say this. It was so refreshing to speak with a woman who approaches life and family and what it means to be a foster parent with such love and compassion. When you have a chance, take a moment to visit Melissa's website, melissasmallwood.com. Our conversation today only scratched the surface, and she has so much to offer, foster and adoptive moms especially. One more thing, we did have a little trouble with the sound quality during our interview, and I'm sorry about that. This is a new podcast, and I'm still working out some of the kinks. But with that, here's my conversation with Melissa Smallwood. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, to get started, I would love to just ask you to share the same thing I ask everyone. When did your life first intersect with the foster care system? So when I was in middle school, um, I confided in a counselor some things that were going on in my home, not knowing, you know, at that age um, about mandatory reporting and things like that. And so um, my brothers and I uh, entered the foster care system that week. Wow. And so, yeah, that was my first experience with foster care was as a foster child. Did you feel, okay, I'd love to unpack that because, um, first of all, a lot of the kids, people that I've spoken with already, they're not kids, Mm -hmm. they're adults, but they entered foster care at a very early age. Mm -hmm. So this is very different in that you remember that moment when you trusted somebody with some information. Mm-hmm. Were you were you wanting someone to get involved, or what was it? Uh, and 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 if not, how how did that feel when suddenly people showed up at your house, or however that happened? I didn't. I wanted help with what was going yeah. on at home. I didn't mm-hmm. understand. Um, I didn't even know what foster care existed. Like I just wasn't familiar right. with the concept. Right. Um, I just wanted my therapist to help me with all the big feelings I had. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And and never in my wildest dreams would I have ever done anything that would have separated me from my brothers. Um, And so that was a very, very painful thing for me for many years, feeling like I had caused this awful thing to happen to our family. So how long were you in foster care at that time? Um, I was in traditional foster care for a a year and a half, two years. And then I went in, my grandparents lived out of state and they, Mm. from the very beginning, were trying to get custody of us and get us out of foster care. Um, By the time that they were successful, because the ICPC process, for those people that are familiar with it, it's slow enough nowadays with computers and, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But 
you know, 25 plus years ago. Um, I guess it was like 28, 29 years ago. Um, it was a very, very lengthy process. And so by the time they were successful in getting, um, kinship placement of me, my brothers had already been returned to my father's care, um, which okay. is somewhere I refused to go. Um, let's for a second, cause I think there are probably some people listening who don't know what ICPC is. I have gone sure. through that with a child who was in our care. So I'm very familiar. Um, can you share, and maybe that we can talk together about what that is. Right. So when a relative or any kind of placement for a child does not reside in the state that the child's removed from, there has to be an interstate compact agreement between the two states kind of transferring that case to that state. Um, And Mm -hmm. I know that the process is still really lengthy now, but back then it was ridiculous. And my grandparents literally only lived two hours away from where I was in foster care, but because it was another state. Yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. So you lived with strangers. I mean, they weren't strangers after a year and a half, but when you first went to them, they were just basic foster parents. Well, I didn't have the same placement for those two years. I was in three different placements during that time. Um, my first placement my first night in foster care was a group home. Um, Mm. and that was scary. I mean, at one point, a, the, one of the girls that I, I was in a room that had like three sets of bunk beds and I was on the top bunk and the girl that was on the bottom bunk set her bed on fire. And oh so that, yeah, like it was not a fun experience. Um, thankfully my grandparents remained very involved and in after that happened and I was all traumatized by that, you know, um, they advocated for me to be moved. I was moved to, um, a foster home, a couple who didn't have any children. Um, you know, middle school is hard for yeah. any kid. And yeah. so I was not a very well-behaved child at that point because I was so angry at everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't stay long in that placement. And then I went to my final placement before my kinship placement with my grandparents. And I was there for the longest period of time, about nine months, almost a year. Okay. And how was that home? If you had asked me that when I was in the home, um, I would have told you she's bossy and she favors her biological child. And, um, you know, I would have had a bunch of opinions, but, um, as an adult, when I looked back on that placement, um, Mm -hmm. she worked really hard to connect with me. She worked really hard to get me involved in things that, uh, were important to me. Um, she, I don't know how, but we lived in a tiny little town in the mountains of West Virginia, and she convinced her church choir to let this 11, 12-year-old little girl sing on their adult choir And mm. um, because music was just a passion. And she got me back in the piano lessons that I had been in before you know, foster care. And when I look back on those things as an adult, I was so taken by how hard she tried to connect with me and how hard she tried to make that placement positive. And I actually reached out to her as an adult several years ago on Mother's Day just to tell her, yeah, just to tell her that I recognized that. I wasn't even sure if she would remember me. And she was like offended that I thought she wouldn't remember me. And so (laughs) we've remained in contact ever since. 
Wow. I'm over here crying. So sorry. That's uh, one of those things you just, as a foster parent, when kids leave your home, you think. You don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. I teach pride classes. I, um, for my state and I like to tell foster parents, like, you know, it's kind of like a garden and you don't know if you're the one that's planting a seed or watering a seed that was already planted or providing good fertilizer for the first time. Like you may never see the bloom, yeah. But what you're doing has an impact on that child that they may not even realize until 20 years later. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pull myself together here and keep on <laughs> keep going. <laughs> no, it's okay. This is, you know, you just, it's so funny. You just, um, you never know. And we need, we need, this is exactly why I love this forum. I, for the last five years, I've been doing this videos sharing from my experience mm-hmm. and I've um, watched them <laughs> and oh thank you and you know a lot of it is just sort of wow there was so little that I knew going in and there was mm-hmm. so much that I learned and just by nature my temperament and my personality is that, that I'm uh you know I'm a helper and so when I know something and I think other people need to know it too I you know I put it out there and Right. Anyway, um, but I got to the point where I was just kind of like, I'm kind of done hearing myself talk about this. I really want to hear other people's experiences. And so, you know, but, um, you just, yeah, you just never know. So you, you are now teaching pride, which tells me that you're training foster parents. Right. And you also mentioned that you have gone on. So tell me about the journey from foster care and being placed eventually finally with your grandparents. Right. And growing up with them. And then tell me about how that led you into becoming a foster parent yourself. (laughs) Well, it's been kind of a rocky road. So by the time I got to my grandparents, I was in ninth grade. I was kind of angry with the world, like I had said, um, and quite a handful. Um, My grandparents were, you know, still young, um, still both worked full-time jobs. My grandmother was a university professor and my grandfather worked at NASA And so they placed me in a boarding school um, for all girls, very expensive, you know, elite school. Um, And I went there during the week and then I would come home to them because it was about 30 minutes from where they lived on the weekends. Um, Mm -hmm. And my grandparents hadn't parented in a long time (laughs) and they had never parented a girl And so um, they were kind of naive. They didn't give me many rules. And um, I quickly spiraled out of control. Um, Mm. And when I was 15, about to turn 16, I ran away. Um, I ran away to go force my mom to be a mom uh, because she was about to have a baby. And it really uh, affected me. Um, That lasted Mm. for two weeks. And I was too prideful to go back to my grandparents, and the court allowed me to be emancipated. Um, at 15. Six, I was 16 by then. At six, but still, at 16, yeah, you're I have been a legal on my own adult since I was 16. Yeah. And of course, wow. as um, you know, 30 something percent of girls in foster care do, I got pregnant about four months later. Okay. And, um, So I was a teen mom, and I dropped out of high school, and um, yeah, that was my life at that point. My grandparents did come back into my life when my first son was born, 
And I'm really thankful for that. They forgave me for um, just running off without a trace. And um, they played a pivotal role in my life. So you just said that was the plan. And I know enough about foster (laughs) care to know that thing about your story, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that is not what actually happened. Yeah, exactly. So in my mind, I had imagined that we would get like a 10, 11 year old little boy. And because I had been a boy mom for most of my parenting journey, and that was just what was in my head. And so our first placement was a 10 year old girl and she was as tall as me and as developed as me and, um, quite Mm -hmm. a firecracker. Um, Mm -hmm. and she came to us. She was our only placement for quite a while. Her plan was reunification with her biological mom. I forged a really, um, healthy relationship with mom and we worked hard together. Um, she, we kind of mentored her in parenting because this was a child that had not been parented um, Mm -hmm. up until that point. And we worked together well, and we were really, really hopeful that um, the reunification would go well. Um, But a few months before she was reunited, we had taken in a short-term placement um, who was a teen mom. And so she lived with us. Her child was in she was in foster care at six, at 17, but something had happened with her son. So he also entered foster care. So she had her own case and then she had a case against her, if that makes any sense. Yes. And so, yeah. um, we facilitated, you know, visitation between her and her little boy. And, um, she was with us for about six weeks okay. and then she left. And the month before, um, our, first foster child was going to be reunited. We had gotten a call about a 17 year old girl who was finished with a residential treatment, um, at a residential treatment facility and she needed a home until she turned 18 in August. And so we were like, well, you know, two at a time it, we were, it was okay for those six weeks that we had the other child. So we'll take her, um, because our other child would be leaving soon. So, um, we went and picked her up and she with us for that, you know, anticipated short-term placement. Um, in the meantime, they called us again and they said, um, there's a girl living at the shelter. She's 16. Um, would you guys consider taking her when your other foster child comes back or goes back home with her mom? And so we were like, well, we'll meet her. And so we met her, um, in the meantime, we had found out that the, the girl that we had just picked up from the residential facility um, was, yeah, LGBTQ. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it didn't really scare me as much as I was just like, well, I've never done that before. Um, and we just kind of right. went with it. So then when we mm-hmm. went to the mm-hmm. shelter to meet the second girl, um, we loved her. We just fell in love with her right away. She was so sweet. Um, we were taking her out of the shelter to go do things together while she waited for us to have a bed for her. Um, and at our Mm -hmm. last visit with her before she was going to come home with us, she was like, I need to tell you something and it's probably going to make you want to leave me here. 
And I was like, okay. And I'm Hmm. thinking, oh, heavens, what has she done? Like, (laughs) I couldn't imagine anything. And she was like, I'm gay. And I was like, oh, honey, you know, uh, K is too. (laughs) And yeah, that's fine. And um, I remember my husband and I got in the car that day when we were leaving the shelter. And I looked at him and I'm like, can we do that? Like, too? (laughs) Like I wasn't, I was kind of, you know, okay with one, but how does two work? And, um, it was interesting Mm -hmm. because I was freaked out about it. I didn't know what was going to happen. But then when our agency kind of freaked out a little bit about it, then I got mama bear about it. And I was like, wait a minute, why would you be concerned? Mm -hmm. Any more concerned that I'm going to have two gay teenagers in my home than you were concerned that I still have an 18 year old son at home. What's the difference? And so, right. um, yeah, yeah, we jumped through a lot of hoops and had to have like all these, you know, safety things in place to avoid any kind of fraternization between the two of them. But um, the the agency let us take both placements. Um, yeah. And so, in the interim, um, we now had those two teenage girls, the seventeen year old and the sixteen year old, and then unfortunately, our original foster daughters reunification didn't work out. And six weeks later, she came back to us. And so we had three girls all at the same time. We actually had to move my son to the garage. My husband built a bedroom out in the garage so that we would have enough room for everybody um, because we didn't want her to have to go to another foster home when she was already grieving, Yeah, you know, the loss of this dream not, not coming to fruition. Yeah. And having to go somewhere else. There's so much about what you've shared thus far. And I know the story continues, but I'd love to unpack or just revisit a few things that you've talked about already. Um, The first is um, the, you know, foster parenting LGBTQ youth. And um, I just want to say like, this has been a challenge for me because um, there are so many um, preconceived notions and Uh, prejudices and um, fears, I think. And this is for people, I'm going to say it's for people who just aren't, this isn't part of your normal social interaction, let's say. Well, and that Um, was the case for me. Yeah. We just didn't have any frame of reference. Right. Right. (laughs) And I know a lot of people who are very well-meaning people and it's mainly just ignorance that causes fear. And so if we can kind of talk a little bit about like what people are afraid of and why they don't need to be. Right. (laughs) Like you said, I mean, there's this, okay, well, can we have two gay girls in this house at the same time? Well, sure. If you could have a teenage boy and a teenage girl, you know, think of it the same way. So could you just talk a little bit about like how you had to confront some of your own I'm going to say ignorance and just yeah, get real absolutely. with it know, was yeah how, yeah how it really is. How it really yeah, is. yeah. It, I had no, you know, no idea. And so I don't know what I thought now that I look back, I don't know what I was so afraid of, but I think it was just the unknown. And so, um, yeah. we got to know their girlfriends, you know, just like we got to know our son's girlfriends and went on double mm-hmm. dates and, you know, they just became part of the family and it was a very yeah. natural thing that just, I guess because we now had personal experience with it and I became, you know, uh, a mama bear, so to speak, in that I didn't want anyone Mm 
um, making them feel any type of way for being gay, like for being who they are. And that included Mm -hmm. uncomfortable conversations with our pastor and, um, you know, Mm -hmm. cutting off some relationships completely with people that didn't agree, um, even family. Uh, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I think in some, you know, evangelical circles, we lose sight of love um, being what's most important. And so I would say that the issues that we had were nothing that I had imagined. They were more with our kids being accepted for who they are. And as a fellow Christian, I mean, I've been pretty upfront about the fact that I am a Christian. It guides my whole, my faith in Christ guides my whole life. Yeah, My goal (laughs) is that every, yeah, my goal is that every child who comes into our home, really every person who comes into our home, but especially the children who come into our home, find us to be the most loving people they've ever known. Absolutely. Especially especially if they have been hurt by people in the name of Jesus in the past. Um, And obviously members of the LGBTQ community have good reason to be, I think in some ways more afraid of Christians than Christians should be afraid of them, you know? And so, yeah. So I feel like that is a very fair challenge to put out there to believers, whether or not you have reconciled your own opinions about. Right. I'm not trying to change anyone's theology. Right. Yes. Yeah. But to say like, in just setting that aside for a second, can you, can we just be the most loving, hospitable, you know, um, welcoming people because, and then this gets into the other statistics, LGBTQ youth make up a disproportionate amount of the kids or, or, you know, percentage of kids in foster care a lot of times because they are rejected by their their family. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have church hurt. Like our, um, the girl that came to us as a 16 year old, she, the first Sunday we went to church, she hadn't told me like, I don't want to go to church. It's going to be a huge trigger for me. And so we're sitting in church and she's literally shaking, physically shaking Mm -hmm. beside me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what's going on? And it turns out that she had been, um, put through a quote unquote healing ceremony many years before, mm-hmm. a couple years before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very traumatic. And oh, so gosh. church itself yeah. was triggering for her. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that you're doing that and I'm glad we're talking about it. And, um, you know, I think we need to have more conversations and, you know, I hope to talk with other people in this platform about that. But um, I want to also uh, talk a little bit about, you mentioned that your son, your biological son, who was 18 right. um, at the time, that he had to move. And, you know, so we have also, we've been in the home that we live in right now for three years. Um, and our children have each changed bedrooms at least two times <laughs> yeah. um, because we've had to shift things around. And yeah. I feel like I just want to say, like, being a foster family if you're truly like a, a foster family and you are in it to be a foster family, not, not looking for that one child who you're going to adopt through foster care. And then that's going to be it. I'm talking about like right. what you're describing where, you know, you have this heart of, you know, hospitality for kids in foster care for as long as you have the capacity to do it, which is kind of what we are, is exactly what we are as well. Um, your whole family is required to be flexible in a way that most people would find really unusual, I think. Yeah. So 
Can you talk a little bit about how your son has handled yeah, your journey well, as a foster parent? For instance, when our, when our oldest daughter came to us, um, we lived in a three bedroom, 1400 square foot house. And one of our sons had a room and then two of our sons shared a room and we ended up enclosing a porch and, um, our son that had his own room, giving it up for this mom and her baby. And, you know, my kids didn't even complain. And I was always so impressed yeah. by that. They were young teenagers at the time, like 12 and 14 and 16. And, um, you know, it was just huge to me that they were so accommodating. So I think Matt had a little bit of experience when it came a couple years late, five, six years later. And we're like, hey, um, do you think you'd mind moving to the garage? And it was kind of funny because his older, her, his oldest sister, who now had two little kids, she lived in the mother-in-law suite that was attached to our house. And then... So that's, you know, all these girls. And then we have these three girls. He was happy (laughs) to move out (laughs) out to the garage to his own quiet, private space. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband put a sink out there and everything else. All he had to do um, to come in for was to eat and use the bathroom kind of thing. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, my kids have my, you know, because they're adults when all this happened. And um, they have accepted every single kid, even the, even through some really tough situations. And I love them for that. Yeah, that's been our experience. That I think you you kind of cultivate this whole um, expectation of family culture, and then yeah. when another person is moving in and things have to shift around a little bit, the kids roll with it. And right. I think also the the way you do it, um, like, you know, your husband wasn't just like, you know, you're going to sleep in a tent outside. He's like, we're going to enclose the garage. We're going to finish this garage off for you right. and turn it into exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. He had a um, set up yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and involving the kids and we, we've had to do that a few times and, and our kids have, you know, given up a playroom. We had a playroom, which we turned into, um, a bedroom for a girl that would, you know, like mm-hmm. you, she was supposed to be with us temporarily. And then we were kind of like, we really love you. And she was like, I really like being here. And so yes. we're like, let's figure out a way to make this work. And, yes. you know, you just do. Um, and that happened with a 17 year old that was supposed to be temporary until August, you know, from June to August. And then she, we loved her. She loved us. And when she turned 18, she, you know, did extended foster care. Yeah. So you make it work, you make it work. And, um, and that's, I think that's just, it's a lifestyle that, you know, if you're committed to being a foster parent, you're committing to this lifestyle of flexibility and, you know, and it's funny because I find a lot of people who are led into being foster parents are not the most flexible people by nature. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you find a lot of top type A personalities. Um, that would be me. Get into yeah. Foster care. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and then you find, you find yourself in it and you're going, Oh, well, part of my, you know, growth. refining experience yes. and growth. Yeah. In this is that I have to lay down so many of my preferences and the way things I, that I like the, the, the way I like things to be and, oh my word, you know, yes. just really, yeah. So, um, my first two years, I would say of foster parenting, which were also my first years of parenting period. Um, oh, wow. so this could be the case for everybody, but I just don't know. We just, you know, dove in head first and, you know, and rode it, rode that wave. But, um, but, um, every bit of my control and my, you know, 
nature of wanting to like have things just be so, um, was flipped and I, it was traumatic for me and I had to go through my own, you know, reckoning with my own personality and all Mm -hmm. of that. But flexibility is the name of the game, man. It is. (laughs) Yeah. We ended up having to be flexible even from our plans in the first place. So we had wanted to be foster only. And, um, when our daughter, our original foster daughter came back from that failed reunification, her mom was MIA for a long time and the state moved that to TPR. And we were faced with, you know, the decision, do we adopt this child, which really wasn't a decision. Um, and so, and then the 16 year old, her parent surrendered her rights in the middle of the case and um, gave her the opportunity to be adopted. So we adopted her. And, um, and so we found ourselves then with the long-term, you know, um, extended foster care placement as well, full. And we didn't have any more beds. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so we were faced with giving, you know, closing our license and just loving on these three. You and I are very similar, I think. And, (laughs) uh, we had a child who had been with us. So we have, we have three who are permanently with us forever. Mm -hmm. And then we had, um, we've had a number of other kids who've come and gone. We had a little boy who was with us for most of 2018. He left at the end of 18. Um, six weeks later, our teen moved in and about five weeks ago, that child who left us in December moved back and now we're on track to adopt him. And it's, um, that flexibility, right? It's like, yep. that's when some bedrooms needed to be moved around. And, but like you, with your daughter, we were, I mean, he would not have gone back. He would not have gone onto strangers. We, no. you know, we were we never have let that happen. It wasn't our plan. This wasn't our plan. Now it is our plan. Exactly. <laughs> our right. plans, you know? And so, um, and I love it. I just kind of look at my little, you know, my little um, flock here, my little like group of children sitting around the table. And I look at them and it's like hard for me to hold my tears back because I'm like, how did this happen? And it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And the hardest thing, because each of them has behind them, um, and not in the too distant past, you know, some, some really, really hard things they've been through. Yeah. And I look at them sitting around the table laughing and, you know, just, just, and not to, not to make it seem too easy. I've been accused on my YouTube channel of making it seem like it's all easy. It's not easy at all. Oh, for um, Pete's sake. <laughs> you know, you're, yeah, you're fighting and fighting. And I think the people have said that actually haven't watched my videos because I think I'm pretty transparent about I how hard you it is. I think you are Thank you. Well, you know, but you're, but you're looking around at those moments when, when beauty has just landed in the middle of your dining table, your dining room table. And you're just like, how did this happen? Like, how did these kids with these stories and these backgrounds land at our table? And we have the privilege of being their mom and dad. It's just, and those moments are what get you through the tough moments. Right. Right. Which brings me to your other work that you do in addition to all of this. You now have parlayed so much of the experience that you have, both from being in foster care, from being a foster mama, being an adoptive mother, and parenting teens, parenting pregnant teens, grandparenting, (laughs) 
And you're what, like 32? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) But, um, but now you, but now you, um, you support other foster and adoptive mothers who are on this journey. Can you talk about what that looks like for you? Yeah, that has developed, um, very organically. Um, when we were in Florida, that's the state we were fostering in. Um, I just became, uh, part of a group of foster mamas and we became kind of a tribe. And I think because I had been parenting a kid from a hard place since 1999, um, I think my advice and my wisdom and things like that really resonated with my friends. And I gave a lot of advice and support and things like that. And then when I was in grad school, because I also started that in 2015 when my son graduated, Um, Can we just pause for a second and say emancipated at 16 GED, um, comma, grad school. (laughs) Can we just acknowledge that you, yeah. It's something I'm quite proud of because only 3% of of kids that spend time in the foster care system ever get a college degree, um, get a bachelor's degree. So yeah, it is something I, I do count as, um, an accomplishment, and yes. it's it's something that took years and years and years as a mom with little kids and stuff like that. Sometimes mm-hmm. I only took one class at a time, and um, yeah. But I've always wanted to be a counselor, and so even before you know all these things happened in my life, so um, I absolutely love my day job. But That's um, amazing, not for nothing. But I also right now I'm in in grad school, and it's I'm doing one class at a time, and then of course. I've already, I'm already in, taking a quarter off because it was back to school for five kids yep, this fall. Yep. And I was, you know, I think I'm just going to take this quarter off, um, and pick back up again with the next quarter, but it's, That's awesome. you know, I think there's, isn't there like a drive though? A lot of what's behind you, I think, you know, you kind of find yourself going, okay, I've done the hard, I can do hard. Right. So let me do this hard for, for a little bit. Yeah. Well, and, um, I think yeah. you alluded to the fact that maybe you're like an Enneagram too. I'm actually a one with a two wing. Okay, so, yes. so am I. Yeah. I like exactly I'm a perfectionist. Alike. I like to. Yes. <laughs> I like to help perfectly. Is the way I joke. I like yes. to be. I and like I, to I like to make perfectly. things right. I like to make things right. And right. so one of the deficits yep. I have seen in the foster care system is the lack of post adoption support. And so yes. I decided, well, why don't I offer some post adoption support? Um, And so, yeah, I've become a foster and adoptive parent coach, and I have a ministry called All Us Moms on Facebook. I lead um, two Bible studies in that group a year online, Um, and I just Mm. am available for moms, you know, to help them work through challenging behaviors, to help them work through um, conflict between their biological kids and and their foster kids, how to advocate for your foster or adoptive child in you know, the special education environment with IEPs and all those Mm -hmm. kind of things. Like nobody gives you a manual for that stuff and get more support for a foster child than you can once those adoption papers are signed. Oh, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. And it's good for people to know that, that, you know, you want to take advantage of everything that's available. I remember my first, yeah, my first week of school with my first foster child 
and getting my first phone calls from the principal's office. <laughs> yeah. And just having no idea. Like I didn't even know because he did have an IEP, which was, you know, this is all like a whole glossary of terms that I'm not really, I wasn't familiar with. Right. And I, they would just tell me to come and get him every day. And so I would go pick him up and bring him home. And I would say, you know, to them, I would say, you do realize this is what he wants. So exactly. he, this this is not going to help his behavior at all. What I didn't know, but I know now, is that they, they were not that. allowed. <laughs> they were not allowed to come and get him, and I didn't know it. So yes. they're like, well, I guess they were like, well, as long as this schmuck's going to keep coming and getting him, we're going to send him home. You know? Yeah, that's what they did with no. my son, um, my stepson that I adopted. That's what the school was doing mm-hmm. with him. And I didn't know any better either, but I was about to lose my job. And so I started researching special education law and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. They'll pull one over. I had a dear friend. Yeah. And, and, you know, and to be fair, I have, I now spend a lot of time at my kids elementary school. I have Mm -hmm. three in the same school and I'm president of the the PTA and I'm there all the time. And I see how under-resourced they are even as a school that yeah. And so I have compassion and I understand, you know, I, I dropped off a very, very challenging child. I get that. Yes. But, um, but I had to learn how to advocate and, you know, be an advocate, an advocate for my son to mm-hmm. get access to what he was legally entitled to have. And I just, it took a whole new education just to, oh, yeah. that was. so the fact that you are out there supporting moms. I I will make sure that I put links to everything that you're doing and ways people can connect with your group and what you're doing, because, um, that is what launched me into this, you know, YouTube. And then Mm -hmm. everything that I'm doing is because I was like, we want foster parents. We need foster parents. There's such a desperate need for this. And then they get licensed. We drop the children off at their home. And then we're like, see ya. Find a support group to go to. Goodbye. I'll see you the next time I I drop by unannounced. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or when, you know, when an allegation comes in from a parent who, you know, is kind of angry about something and, you know, then we'll be there. We'll be there a lot, you know? And, right. um, so anyway, yeah, well, okay. So you are supporting and, um, would you share like kind of, okay, I have my own, um, my own short response or like, you know, routine response to new foster parents who are dealing with super challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. What do you say to people sort of out of the gate when, the quote honeymoon period, which I don't think is a good term for it, but just to use a term we all understand. Right. The honeymoon period's over. The kids are now, the wheels are coming off. What advice do you give a, a, a new foster parent in that? Or maybe a parent who's like, I've parented my own kids and this is completely different. What oh, do you, heavens, what do you yes. tell them? Well, I start off by educating them a little bit about how the brain works. And when a child is exposed to trauma at a young age, their brain is literally hardwired for fear. And if you think about how you behave when you're afraid of something, it's not rational. It's not, um, you know, it's it's not taking other people into consideration. It is self-preservation. And if we can understand that these kids are coming from a place of self-preservation, we can begin to have empathy for them and learn that the behavior has absolutely nothing to do with us. And I know it's 
personally. Believe me how hard it is to not take the behavior personally, but it's really Mm -hmm. not personal. And sometimes if we can separate ourselves from it like that and look at it as this is a scared little child, what can I do to help them? Um, Mm -hmm. The child will actually be more responsive to our attempts. Yeah. And this is true no matter the age. And it it doesn't always look like big... Yeah, it doesn't always look like big, um, uh, explosive stuff. I mean, it can look that way, but it can also be a child who is over compliant and never really wants to rock the boat or lying. Right. Yeah, or lying all the time, mm-hmm. or or being sneaky, and you know, all of those things have been coping mechanisms that have served them well, and yeah. they might be maladaptive in a in a stable home environment, but they've never been in a stable home environment, so they don't realize that they don't need to do those things. And, you know, it's our job through just unconditional love. And there's um, a counseling term we learn in school called unconditional positive regard. And that's something I teach the parents I coach is to have that unconditional, your child needs to feel this unconditional positivity coming from you. And that's so hard when they are pushing back with their behaviors but it's right. so effective. Yeah. Another term that we use is feedback loops and um, doing like when those things are happening, they're so used to getting a negative feedback loop and like a exactly. negative response. Right. Kind of, yeah. To kind of begin to find ways. Um, I'm really excited actually, because my next guest on this podcast is the author of a book that I use a lot called Beyond Consequences, Logic, and Control. Yes. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian. Oh, how He's cool. going to be my best. I know. I couldn't believe he said yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and I'm hoping to unpack this some more with him because, you know, that, and that book I love because it's a short, very concise book. There's a lot, you know, there's denser books you can read that go yeah. deeper into detail. But that one really consolidates, um, um, and I should say he co-authored it. He's not the only author, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I think, and like you, I think every foster parent needs to become at least a lay scholar of child development and yes, it's, child it's psychology. An, a necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's a question on the back of my mind that I hesitated to ask before, but I, I would kind of like to ask you this question, um, kind of circling back to the very beginning of our, of our conversation. Okay. Looking back on that, that day when you went to your counselor and you, uh, told, you know, disclosed some stuff that was happening in your home, having no idea what was going to happen. Did your counselor make the right call in reporting it? Yes. As an adult, I know that yes, she did. As a counselor, (laughs) I know Mm -hmm. that she didn't have a choice. Um, and I do think that I was better off out of the environment than in the environment for sure. Mm -hmm. You had years to have to come to that though. There's, you know, I, I can only imagine the weight that you carried that you, that you carried for those years. Yeah. Wow. And even that, I have to say, even that gives you an insight that I think very few, people have as their foster parenting to be able to even know the weight of guilt a lot of our kids carry yes. thinking that somehow this was their fault. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the things 
a lot of times when I'm both when I'm teaching pride and with my coaching clients is trying to help them see what's probably going on in the child's mind because I have been there and I know what I was thinking and it's pretty easy for me to kind of have empathy for what that child's probably feeling too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You are such a rich resource. I am so grateful for the chance to speak with you today and, uh, for all of the, you know, even just as people are listening to this, I know that you have kind of opened up some important things to think about, and I'm excited to be able to point people to your, um, to your resources. What is the best way for someone who wants to connect with you going forward or take, you know, kind of take advantage of the resources that you create? How is the best way for people to do that? Um, my website, melissasmallwood.com. Um, my coaching page has all the information about the coaching services, um, and, and how to contact me. Fantastic. I love it. Melissa, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I'm so honored to have been a guest on your podcast. You've been listening to a fostered life podcast. For more information and resources for foster parents, please visit afosteredlife.com where you'll find blog posts, YouTube videos, and social media links so you can connect with others on the foster parenting journey. If you're interested in supporting my work at A Fostered Life, please go to afosteredlife.com and click on the tab, Support My Work. That will take you to my Patreon page where you can become a patron. Just $1 a month helps offset the costs of producing these resources and enables me to offer them freely to new and prospective foster parents, and I'm grateful for the support of my patrons. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate A Fostered Life on iTunes. It would help me out so much. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring about foster care.